0: Welcome to the Aptitude Podcast, the place to get positive about discipline so you can make parenting more enjoyable. Hello, I'm Michelle.
1: And I'm Michael.
0: And this is an exclusive Aptitude Podcast for parents, carers and professionals. On this episode, we're going to explore why aggression in young children is such a common behaviour. We're going to help you focus on how best to deal with aggression when it does happen and why it isn't necessarily a reflection of poor parenting.
1: So, Michelle, I I noticed that we've got a a really juicy question around this subject. (laughs) Um, Do you want to just read it out?
0: Okay, so this comes from a mum called Iona, and she says, My 19-month-old has recently started hitting other children and saying no We've always been very gentle with her and rarely used no at home. I can only imagine that she's learned this from other children at playgroup. But now if another child pushes her or takes her toy, she will hit back. Other parents look at me in horror. How can I teach her to express her frustration differently?
1: I think the very first thing I want to pick up on this is that um how I owner expressed how other parents uh, looked at her in horror. Um, And that may well be true, of course. There are parents who will will be judgmental, and there are other parents, actually, who may be very sympathetic to, to, to the situation. The point is that if we focus on that, then it's going to obscure the way we see the child's experience. And that's ultimately the most important thing. So we really understand what's going on for the child, why the child's behaving that way, and how we can respond appropriately. So... We may have all kinds of thoughts and feelings about what other people are thinking and feeling, but ultimately if we let that get in the way, we will not be seeing the child. And the child is what really really counts here.
0: I can relate to that because it's really easy. You You might see the look on somebody's face and you can easily think that they're having a whole bunch of thoughts about you and then you have a whole bunch of thoughts about them. But actually you don't know 100% for sure what they're thinking about you. So they might look horrified, but they might not be horrified that your child's just hit back. They might be horrified that their own child took that toy or it could be anything. And so it's because we can't ever control what other people think. we, we, We might as well save ourselves the energy and remember that everyone else is entitled to their own thoughts and experiences. There's nothing we can do about that or change that for others. All we can do is focus on our own experience and, like you say, more importantly, the child's experience. So we can be there for them rather than caught up in our own stress or guilt or anxiety about what other people might think.
1: So if we're going to step in into this situation and look at what's really helpful from the child's perspective... Where's a good starting point here? What's, what's a helpful place to, to start from?
0: Well, that's a great question. And I think the fundamental thing to remember is that children don't want to hurt others. And that's, it's really powerful to have that in mind at all times. And I'm going to repeat it because it's so important. Children don't want to hurt others. Everything they do comes from a place of innocence. When children hit, they feel bad They don't want to do that.
1: So, yeah, I want to pick up on this point you're making about the children feeling bad. Now, when we see aggression, what we're really seeing is a child coming from an insecure place. That's what's really going on. They're feeling insecure, and it takes the form of, you know, the the underlying upsetness or the underlying uh, worry or whatever it might be. But ultimately, it's insecurity. Now, the question I would ask us all is, if we can see that the child is feeling insecure, really see that, why would we want to react to them in a punitive way, in an unhelpful way? Surely, I've noticed that when, I've, when I see my child being in an insecure place, what tends to happen to me is that I tend to be more loving. I want to reach out to them and find a way forward. So seeing the child from an insecure place is really important. Added to that, let's not be confused by the fact that although we're saying the child is coming from a place of insecurity, it may look like a show of confidence or bravado. So we might get fooled by that. And it's really important to acknowledge that actually the confidence and the bravado... And that feeling of trying to assert power is coming ultimately from a feeling of powerlessness.
0: Yeah. And the, the insecurity, like th- this is a normal part of the human range of experience. So if your child's having insecure thoughts or expressing a feeling of insecurity, this doesn't mean that they're insecure um, in general. You know, it doesn't mean that you don't have a strong attachment to them you can have an amazing attachment to your child and they will still experience the feeling of insecurity they'll still think insecure thoughts so that's no reflection on your ability to be a loving caring parent it's just that it's normal for human beings in particular situations to have particular thinking and and i love what you say about the illusion of confidence because often when children hit they will they will act like they don't care and it's the children who act like they just don't care they're the ones who are hurting the most mm. because of course they didn't want to hurt someone else and now they feel so bad that they have that they have to they have to pretend to themselves and to others that they don't care and so they they you know try to cut themselves off from that feeling which is interesting because that brings me on to a little bit about the brain development because from naught to three, children live primarily in their right brain. So the right brain is all about emotional, sensorial experience. It's looking at things quite holistically. It's sort of a big picture experience. And you'll know when your child is starting to integrate their, their very logical left brain because that's when they go through that amazing phase of asking why for every question. So, so up until that point, nought to three, that's when your child is most likely to experience like a sensorial or a feeling overload and they get overwhelmed by that. So it's in that huge surge of emotional feeling that the child has a need to kind of offload or offset that, that tension, that overwhelm. And so that's why children will sometimes bite or scratch or hit or push because, because it feels like in that moment of doing that, of pushing or biting or releasing tension, that there's some sense of relief. And of course, you know, there may well be a very, very transitory, momentary sense of relief. And then also the awareness of having hurt somebody else and, and that doesn't feel good. You know, and that's a really difficult thing for the child then to deal with, alongside the fact that the adults around them are very likely to have a reaction to that, potentially one that is shaming or blaming, which then compounds the child's upset that they've hurt somebody.
1: So, just to add to that, I think it's what I'm what I'm hearing here. It's a, it's, it's actually a very natural response of getting rid of a feeling and moving on this energy. This, this tension that child is experiencing. And I think what we can now see is that it's our job to help the child to do it differently. Yes. So what we're, what we're not accusing the child of doing something wrong, I mean, it's inappropriate for sure, but they're still learning. And that's the key thing, that we, we're there to help them learn to express that differently. So the moving on of the energy, yes, expressing that feeling is really fundamental because they don't like that in their bodies. It doesn't feel good. So why would you keep it in your body?
0: Mm. And you say it's it's inappropriate. And of course, you know, sort of from a social dynamic point of view, it is inappropriate. But from the child's need to deal with a huge surge of, of emotion and to offload that, it's an entirely appropriate way to
1: Absolutely. to
0: do that as far as they're concerned in that moment.
1: Yeah. So just coming back to this point about, you know, if, if they're expressing a, an insecurity... Let's not assume that we will know what, they, what they're feeling insecure about. And is it really important to try and find out what it is they're feeling insecure about? I would say no. The important thing is that we're simply having an insecure feeling. Remember, they're in the feeling state. And um, trying to work out what it is that they're, they're feeling insecure about at this point misses the point, if you like.
0: Yeah, that can distract us from actually just being present because we're trying to work out why
1: absolutely so if our job isn't to try and work out why it's happening why they're feeling insecure how do we connect with the child
0: well it's an interesting one because if your child is is having a surge of emotion or a surge of you know a sensory overload which is a predominantly right brain experience how do we connect with that well The working out why is a very logical thing to do. So it's like saying your child's having this right brain experience and we want to come in with a very logical left brain to sort it out and that's not going to work. So we have to step into the child's world from the same place. We have to step in from a sensorial and emotional place as well, which means that looks like offering a lot of non-verbal availability so you're showing affection or you know your willingness to offer a hug or comfort or to stroke hair it can be with lots of facial gestures that look very empathetic or interested or curious or or you know sympathetic so the child's getting all of these emotional cues from you but you're not making any demands of the child to understand something intellectually you're not asking them to think rationally or logically because they're not in the place to do that neurologically and, you know, from what's going on in that particular moment. So you're meeting them on the same page, you know, sort of on a, on an emotional level. And then later on, you know, and this is obviously age appropriate, but later on, if, if you know, there has been an event where there's been hitting and it has been very upsetting for people, then there might be an occasion where you can retell the story of that or invite the child to retell the story, because that 's when the left brain has opportunity to make sense of what 's happened, hmm. so if you 've had an upsetting experience, maybe the child's had an upsetting experience at school, and um, you know at the time, there were lots of tears and everything, and that that 's not the time for the left brain to to make sense of it, but later on, when the child feels calm and connected then you can, you can retell that story and you can pause it and you can resume it at another time. But just retelling it, retelling it so the brain can, left brain can make sense. Hmm.
1: And underpinning all of this, what I'm hearing, Michelle, is that it is essential that we as adults, as parents, stay absolutely calm so and steady so that the child feels really safe enough to, to just emotionally discharge whatever's going on for them. Yeah, that whatever happens and actually, you know, if it ends up in big tears, actually, that's really healing for them. This is what's really required. So they need to need to feel safe. And it's our job to create that place of safety through our own steadiness.
0: Yeah. And it comes back again to relationship and connection. And, you know, when a child hits out, it's easy to think that that child needs punishing. But like we said before, you know, like any shaming or blaming or punishing or, you know, like banishing the child to another space that that just compounds the child's sense of just feeling terrible yeah. about themselves and so when you offer connection instead it's not that you're rewarding bad behavior it's that you're meeting you know that the, the cause which is something that it comes from a place of innocence for the child a sense of you know emotional overload you're meeting that with love and affection and kindness and firmness and ideally of course You know, in a perfect situation, you would be able to prevent the child from hitting because you would engineer a situation Mm. where they wouldn't ever have these insecure thoughts. But of course, in the real world, like we can't do that. Mm.
1: I I think the the point you made about bad behavior, I think bad behavior is as a matter of perception. It looks like bad behavior to us, to the child. He or she doesn't really understand that it's bad behavior. Uh, It will learn that in time. But at that moment, what they're experiencing, they're doing the very best they can, given the way they see things. And that, of course, will change and does change. Um, so bad behavior is our interpretation from their point of view. It's simply what feels right. However, it's our job to help them understand that differently and help them to learn to do it differently.
0: Yeah. And if they feel supported that we're there and we're, you know, continuing to be kind and firm, but also recognizing, you know, like from a neurological point of view and you know, just from the fact that the right and the left brain they're still integrating over those first few years just for the fact that impulse control doesn't come until the child's sort of three and a half, four years old from that fundamental understanding it's like we cannot expect our children to to not ever express themselves in a physical way that it potentially looks like hitting or biting or shoving because they're so young, they're learning to do this, and we can offer the guidance and the scaffold. But if you feel like your child has to learn now to do it differently, then you know you're kind of setting yourself up for disappointment because they neurologically are unable to learn to do it differently yet. And some children, even beyond the age of four or five even when they do have impulse control some children will still continue to hit and that's simply because they have an innocent misguided strategy that that is the best way to express themselves Mm -hmm. now that doesn't mean that you've messed up as a parent that just means your child has adopted that as a strategy and until they find for themselves a different way to express themselves they will continue to do it But that that will change at some point. Yeah,
1: and I think it's really worth noting at this point that the majority of us uh, have evolved to not be violent. You know, this happens will happen quite naturally to the child as well. So you know, violence isn't something that we we continue to do in in the majority of cases. So yeah, I think it's important to notice that. And uh, one last thing really to to point out in relation to children being aggressive. Now, there are occasions, of course, when we have to intervene. It's really important that we do intervene. We don't want little brother being hurt or ourselves being hurt, for example. So it is important to step in from a calm and firm place, looking at the child in the eyes and holding the hands or arms if necessary and using phrases like, I can't let you hit me, or I can't let you hit your brother, not to shame the child because the child will often feel guilty as a consequence that that's just too much to bear and may end up kind of creating a sort of I don't care attitude, sort of bullshy attitude. But let's not be fooled by that because that's simply a mask. You know, as Michelle, you said earlier, you know, children don't want to hurt others. You know, it is an act of desperation. There's a real vulnerability that's going on here, and we have to be sensitive to that.
0: And I, I like what you said about, you know, how you phrase it to the child. I can't let you hurt me, or, you know, I need to make sure that Timmy's hair doesn't get pulled. By by saying it in that way, you're you're giving the child the information that I'm here to help you. I'm I'm here to support you, to not do something that I know you don't really want to do. And I think when you make it collaborative and the child knows that you've got their back, that, that's
1: mm. really significant. Mm, I like that. Yeah, good point. So our next question is from Natalia. And she asks us, my son is really particular about not sharing things at the moment. If another child so much as comes close, he will shove the child away. On one occasion, he bit another boy who tried to pull the toy off him. I try to explain that it's kind to share and we practice taking turns but I'm at a loss as to how to help him.
0: Oh, this is such a biggie, isn't it, sharing because there's so much sort of cultural expectation that we will teach our children to be great at sharing. And yet, research shows that, you know, beyond toddlerhood, children don't necessarily share very readily. And that that's totally developmentally appropriate so to us it looks like it's selfishness and and I think there's also a little bit of a cultural hang-up about about not being selfish so there may be many situations where we see our children and we perceive them as being selfish and it can be quite easy to fall into that trap particularly around sharing so it's really important to remember all the times, and there will be so many times when you see your child being generous as well. So don't fall into that trap that, you know, you've got a selfish child, and it's and it's they're a reflection of you. Which brings me on to to the most powerful thing we can do as parents is to model generosity. And when you when you share with your child, make a point of saying, "I'd like to share this with you." So you know, I'd like to share my chips with you, or I. would I'd like to share this little piece of ice cream with you. So that they become aware that your act of sharing is coming from a a place within you which is quite joyful and you're pleased to do it. And at the same time we don't want to to model to our children that they must always take care of the desires of others over their own desires. So if you're constantly telling your child to share because that makes them a nice person then you the, the message to your child is other people's needs are always more important than your own and so we don't want to you know veer into that kind of territory because because when children are very young what they're experimenting with is ownership and the power to possess is a really powerful mm. concept right to actually have ownership of something so it's very natural and then as parents if we come along we potentially interrupt that and threaten that by kind of demanding or requesting sharing now the child who's experimenting with ownership and who's very thrilled to possess something who suddenly has somebody else come along and tell them that they have to give it away then their their need to possess that becomes more intense. It becomes more important to own it. So in effect as as adults, we are compounding you know, the the likelihood of them wanting to hold on to something. And some research also shows that when parents and when adults don't intervene in sharing, children are more generous. Mm. Which I find fascinating.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I think it's you know, we keep pointing to what they're doing well. When they share something, why don't we just acknowledge the fact that uh, they've done something that's given somebody else pleasure. So maybe they've shared the ball with with Sarah, for example. And you can say, well, Sarah, can you see how Sarah is smiling now? She's really pleased to have the ball. So we can help the child connect between the action of sharing and somebody else's uh, response or somebody else's good feelings that they might have as well as a consequence of that the good feelings that come up for them.
0: Yes. And I th- I think over time, like all those accumulated experiences of recognizing kind of cause and effect. So recognizing that if you've shared something or you've been generous in some way and that has a positive effect on somebody else, then over time that sort of all goes into the memory bank. And that means that sharing can come from a place of real authenticity. But that does take a long time for that to happen. You know, to stay really connected to the value of sharing.
1: I think it's what happens naturally when a child is feeling feeling secure about themselves. There's are insecure about what they have. It naturally occurs that they start to to share more. They're more willing to 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 share with others.
0: Hmm. I, I'm interested that Natalia talks about um, taking turns because this is this is a really interesting one. Uh, and I think one of the reasons it doesn't always work for people is if you say, okay, we're going to wait for our turn. And then if you, you stand there, oh, you know, the child's looking at the object of their longing and just waiting. They become so focused on that, that the waiting becomes excruciating. So if you are turn-taking and you're waiting your turn, then, then find something else that can engage the child while you're waiting. Um, and it might just be as simple as, you know looking to see if there are any ants on the floor that you can (laughs) find or 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 playing a little game with your fingers or playing a clapping game anything so that the child doesn't become overly focused on what they're waiting for because that you know that's hard as an adult that would be hard to do and also one of the other things is if you approach another child and you're going to ask them if they're willing to take turns to remind your child that the child you're about to ask they might say yes that they're they're happy to give you the ball or whatever but they might say no so you're already preparing your child for the fact that they might hear no as an answer and you trust that your child can handle that because they can Thank you so much for listening to an exclusive Aptitude podcast. Be sure to tell your friends about our Aptitude and Happily memberships and we'd love you to catch our next episode so you can discover some fascinating facts about child sleep and how to transform your approach to nap times and bedtimes.